Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Adrian Goldberg's talk show, recorded this time at the University of Birmingham in the Philosophy Department. I'm here to meet Professor Heather Widows. Heather is the author of a book called Perfect Me, and growing out of that book is a social media campaign called Everyday Lookism. We'll try and explore what exactly that means. Uh, Heather, just tell me about Perfect Me and Everyday Lookism. So Perfect Me is my most recent book and there I talk about the rise of the beauty ideal. So that's something quite simple. It's just increasing demands to do more, just to be normal, just to be good enough. So in order to meet minimal beauty standards, we're now doing a lot more than we used to do. So in terms of body hair removal at a very routine end and in terms of cosmetic surgery at a high end. And we're doing this across demographics. All types of women are doing more, men are doing more, and it's happening globally. So what I bring to the party as a philosopher is... I pick out the ethical or moral element of why we feel that we have to do this. And if you look at beauty, so much beauty talk is moral talk. So you're worth it. Be good to yourself. You owe it to yourself. And whatever else you do, don't let yourself go. But nobody had done this before, pulled out that that some of what's going on in beauty is that we find it really hard not to engage because when we stop, we feel like we've done something that's wrong, that's morally bad, that we've got some kind of duty to do it and that we let ourselves down if we don't do it. But I guess across societies, across time, people have had ideas of beauty. That's not new, but you're suggesting that there is a new dynamic to this, at least in Western society? No, so I'm suggesting, yes, there's an ethical element, but I'm also suggesting that this is global and we've never had a global beauty ideal before. So you're completely right that, of course, we've always beautified, we've always adorned, but because it's been different in different places, it's always been about beauty. It's never been able to flip into that normalising practice. So, for instance, if I'm if I'm talking to my students, you know, I would use the example of like the difference between corset wearing and foot binding. Right, they're, they're obviously things that that aristocratic Victorian woman had to do or that aristocratic Chinese woman had to do, but they could see across cultures and within cultures. So their maids didn't do those things. They couldn't have scrubbed the floors or farmed the fields if they'd had those silly little feet or those tiny waists. So there's always been difference. We've never had a global beauty ideal where more of us have to do more and where it's very similar. And when it's very similar, then you end up with a place where it flips from something that is for beauty to something that seems like it's just to be normal so it's for health or hygiene so if I go back to body hair and I'm fascinated by body hair you can see that there's a real change in how we conceptualize that so now it's become we're now at a place where it's almost the hairless body that is seen as the natural body which is like the ultimate and double thing because bodies grow hair and yet when you listen to women talk about body hair it's more like teeth cleaning or hair washing than it is about beauty so they'll say Say things like, oh, well, you know, people should do what they want with their bodies, but, oh, it's a bit disgusting, and, and maybe I'd stand 10 feet away from them in the showers. Now, if you think about that and compare it to that Victorian-bound foot or that corset-wearing woman, they could not have believed ever that the tiny foot was natural or the tiny waist was natural. So they might have thought it was desirable, it was beautiful or even perfect, but they couldn't have thought they had to do it just to be normal, just to be natural. And that, I think, is the key difference then that you're identifying and that 
you say on the one hand there has always been an idea of beauty almost for its own sake what you're saying is different now is there is a kind of moral imperative around it and beauty is bound up with ideas of goodness and of virtue absolutely so there's a moral imperative about it we think we're good when we do it we're virtuous even when we do things that lead towards it so you know we, we talk about being naughty when we eat the piece of cake and we're good when we've gone out for the run and then we also set our lives priorities and goals around it so if you look at new year's resolutions they're fascinating right in 2019 nearly all of them were about the body if you go back a couple of generations then improving ourselves was not improving our bodies it was improving our character so you you get people saying things like you know i resolved to think before i speak i resolved to be a better daughter to put others before myself now we want to lose weight go to the gym and pump iron and sometimes we want to save up for surgery uh, at some level this crosses over with health as well though doesn't it because people will say well yes i want to lose weight because i understand that losing weight may make me healthier so as we discuss this, is there a danger that you might be discouraging healthy behaviour? So I'm really suspicious about um, sometimes the way that health is used, really to make um, to make the to make the beauty agenda look like it's not really a beauty agenda. But when you look quite closely at what people are doing, very many of the things that we do for beauty are not healthy. So an awful lot of the kind of exercise programs that we're doing don't lead to healthy bodies. You know, you look at the kind of ways that so that the ideal for a woman now is a very thinness with curves ideal. Now that requires a lot of intervention, um, often um, cosmetic surgery on a thin frame, or if you look at the male ideal you often need hormones or other interventions and also the dieting that's required you know we have people doing all kinds of cleansing purging detoxing in ways that very many people say is not healthy at all so the claim might be for health but often it's for beauty and sometimes even when it looks like it's for health it's not very healthy and you say this is not just applying now to women who were traditionally the the upholders of beauty but for men as well it's applying for men, um, particularly in younger demographics. We see more and more eating disorders with young men. We've seen body image anxiety cited as the third most challenging issue for young people across genders. And we see this spreading around the globe. So it's still the case that only in certain places are men required to do body work in the way that women are. Um, but yes, it's spreading to men. It's also spreading to more types of women. So it's now it's no, now no longer the case that you only have to do beauty when you're very young. You have to do beauty across the whole of your lifespan, even at times when you didn't used to, like pregnancy and illness. And if you look at the way that, you know, pregnancy and maternity photography is taken off have a quick google of that that's almost a rite of passage and you know it you, used you do your bump photo right. but you do your bump photo when you're glammed up exactly glammed up so you meet all the other criteria so you're still thin you're still firm you're still smooth but you've just got this lovely little bump attached to it and then um, if you look at the types of women so it used to be the case that only some types of women had to meet the ideal probably those who were who were either aristocratic or models or you know beauty queens or something whereas now 
all women in the public eye have to meet the beauty ideal and you just need to look at the column inches about Hillary Clinton or even the um, whole Ferrari about Mary Beard and if you can get a discussion about how a professor for classics can be too ugly for television then the beauty ideal is dominant indeed. Well you've touched on this in a couple of ways one with Mary Beard and one by talking about and also by talking about the eating disorders in men but I suppose the ultimate question here is what is the harm you know if people are seeking to beautify themselves perhaps in ways that weren't done in previous generations and to an extent that wasn't done in previous generations where is the harm? So there are very many harms attached to beauty so I don't want um, anybody to run off with the idea that I think it's all harmful and we should just stop right that's not my answer at all I think there are many pleasures of beauty too and I think to say it's all harmful is just as disingenuous to say that it's all about choice and it's all pleasure right the truth is neither of those it's a very mixed thing and there are beauty pleasures and there are beauty harms there are real harms in the way that the current ideal is going so it falls on all of us um, in an increasing visual and virtual culture we're all supposed to be camera ready all the time you know no longer is it you know you dress up for a wedding you can be snapped and posted at any time and because of social media instagram snapchat whatever instagram snapchat social media and the more you fall under selfie culture the younger you are then the more demanding those norms are so the harms are numerous just to list a few the rising harm of body image anxiety right this is now a global epidemic and it stops people doing all kinds of things so if you look at the evidence it's you know girls report saying things like oh well, I, I i wouldn't want to speak up in class because i'm ashamed of how i look lots of people don't do exercise and then there's just the constant shame of the self that feeling that their bodies are not good enough and that's not um, a small part of where their esteem come from comes from it's that if the body isn't good enough they feel that they are not good enough so one harm would be the, the horrible devastating consequences that attach to body image anxiety physical consequences mental health consequences disordered eating all kinds of things that we don't do there's also another harm that um you know it's just if all of us are spending more times doing more just to be normal there's a big justice harm of opportunity cost that's an awful lot of time effort and money we're spending doing something that we didn't used to spend when we could be doing something else so we could be reading a book we could be improving ourselves we could be helping somebody else it sounds if you don't mind me saying so rather an old-fashioned view but actually would arguably be better than dolling yourself up whether you're male or female so i think some dolling yourself up is good fun and we shouldn't um think that all of that's harmful so you know i think philosophers have been very guilty of focusing on the mind and not the body Mm. and you know talking about the ghost and the machine and thinking (laughs) we're just a brain and we're no body right that's to my mind, even worse than thinking we're just a body. What we need to get right is how we celebrate and love our bodies, but that we don't think that they have to be perfect in this ever narrower, more demanding way, such that we obsess over them and we feel that we are constantly failing and falling short. And it's the particular pressure to be perfect that people report they feel and the consequences feeling of failures that people report when they don't measure up that's so worrying and devastating. I think there's a question for me that just begs to be asked which is what or who is driving this? Is it as simple as saying we live now in a a more globalised world and that there are manufacturers of cosmetics who want to sell their products or 
cosmetic surgeons who want to push their procedures or is there something else going on right there's all kinds of stuff going on so in in perfect may i talk about a perfect storm of drivers it's not like one thing's gone this extreme way and and that's caused it so one as you say is globalization right we now live in a global culture so instead of you comparing yourself to you know the people in your village or the people in your class you're comparing yourself literally to everybody on instagram that's the second one the visual and virtual nature of culture we really haven't come um come to understand at all what it means to live in a culture which is increasingly image-based and less text-based and one of the reasons that we've been particularly bad at researching this and understanding why it's become so devastating is that we really don't understand what to live in an image world is another is a technological imperative so you know because you can do things then you think you should do things so you know to go back to beauty always mattering so elizabeth the first was famously obsessed with her beauty whether or not that was true we have no idea but that that's that's the myth we have so um for her there wasn't a lot she could do to change her appearance except to put white lead on her face and make big roughs fashionable to hide her aging neck right whereas now what you can do the list is endless from you know daily lotions and potions people use you know on average something like 30 products compared to a generation ago when they used eight just to make up their face and then you think about you know the high-tech um, creams that we're supposed to use you think about the non-invasive stuff from you know uh, facial massage to um, fillers to Botox and then the surgery we can have is endless from a small little tuck to eyelid surgery to breast implants to buttock implants and liposuction and so the list goes on and on and on and on <laughs> and then the other one is the one that you mentioned about you know um, a, a particular time of individual consumption right we live at a time when um, how we present ourselves has become very connected to who we are and no longer is it the handbag particularly it's more the body we're writing ourselves on our bodies Uh, just pick you up there you used i think a a bit of uh, if you like academic jargon we're writing ourselves on our bodies what do you mean by that so what i mean is that we are showing who we are not by the stuff we have as much but by how we present our bodies so it matters less that you have the right shoes and more that you have the right thigh gap Um, and that I think is different so there's a sense in which people are buying the bodies to present the cells and that's a two-way process then isn't it because you're to borrow that phrase then writing yourself on your body you're saying with your body this is who I am my my sense of myself is not defined by my handbag my shoes or as as a man by my car or by my house or even by my academic achievements or how nice I am but it's by how I look for that to work it means the the person looking at you also has to have the same understanding of that beauty culture right so this is a the, the so I talked about beauty being an ethical ideal I talked about it being global the third argument of the perfect me is that we've changed how we understand selves in a visual and virtual culture and that in a real sense our bodies have become ourselves and that's incredibly different and you're completely right that has to be a shared change right and that's something that is utterly different from a few generations ago Um, and yet again we haven't understood just how different that change is and of course it's not true for everybody and there's a gradual trickle down change but but slowly the culture is changing so yes increasingly our bodies are ourselves Um, and if I just just go back slightly and then and then and then we'll move on just to the um, 
role of the industry. So I think there's a real tendency to blame the industry and I don't want to let them off the hook at all. They are definitely creating um, creating flaws that we then have to flick. So you know, one example I like to use is large pores because large pores were not something that I realised was a blemish when I was 18. Skin pores. Yeah, like so your your the pores in your skin need to be made smaller. So if you look at if you look at skin cream, if you walk down your local chemist, skin cream often tells you it will erase your wrinkles, get rid of your dark spots and your large pores. Now that was not an issue when I was a teenager and it really wasn't when my mother was, but when my daughter, who's now 11, it really will be for her. So, you know, that is a sign of being flaws being created and then stuff being sold. But it is only the case that you can sell us stuff if we've decided that it's our bodies that we value most, right? So if it was our intellect we valued most, they'd be selling us pills to increase our memories. Or, you know, if it was, you know, you know, we, we were being sold other things two decades ago. So I'm not letting them off the hook, but they are only part of the story. You say that you're the mum of a, an 11-year-old daughter. Right. I've got three daughters, age 15, 11 and 4. So you're saying that the visual world that they have grown up in is one which we as people who are not digital natives can really understand. We cannot understand the pressure that they feel to conform with these ideals of beauty and this culture yeah. of beauty. That's absolutely right. And I think one of the reasons that um, we as academics haven't addressed this as fast as we should is because we, by our natures, are of an older generation and also perhaps of a generation where the ideals fall less. Um, and addressing visual culture is absolutely crucial in looking at what's going on here. And the old things that we used to say, right, it's just not okay. So if you tell your child, oh, it's what's on the inside that counts, they know you're lying to them because that is not their experience of the world. So not only are you telling them something that feels useless to them because they know it's not true, but then they feel further alienated from you because you've just told them something that makes no sense. Although, of course, it is true, isn't it? It is what's on the inside that counts. In, in today's culture... It's what's the inside and the outside that counts. We mustn't let people run away with the ideal that it's only what's on the outside that counts and that there's a real sense that that's happening. So if you, you know, I've got some lovely quotes in Perfect Me, some from like, you know, girls to say, oh, well, you know, if you imagine yourself as this successful businesswoman, you imagine yourself as this really skinny woman in a suit. Now, obviously, being skinny and buying a suit will not make you a successful businesswoman. You really do need to, you know, do the exams, have the savvy, get out there and do the work. What's on the inside? really counts but in our culture to tell them what's on the outside doesn't count they know that's a lie and they know that they will suffer for it and the feeling it's not irrational in our culture to be concerned about one's body and to um, recognize that this is a way that you will be judged to tell our children that they won't be judged on how they look they know that's not true very difficult to negotiate that though isn't it because at some level you're having to give some ground to the culture you're having to say to your children yeah the way that you look the way that you present is partly going to be how you're judged I as your parent might disagree with that right but it's true absolutely so I'm not for one minute saying this is the way the world should be or the way we would like to make the world to be it's just we must recognize that the way this is the way the world is because otherwise we are telling our children all on their own as individuals that they should resist the culture no individual should be asked to resist the culture on their own that's just not fair it does suggest doesn't it that we live in a 
in a culture which is rather more shallow than that of previous generations. If previous generations judged more, I mean, clearly there were mm -hmm. still ideals of beauty and we understood what it was to be beautiful. But if, if people were also valued for their academic prowess, if people were valued for their kindness, and these things are held in less high esteem now than how you look, that does mm. speak of something a little bit, a little bit dumb, doesn't it? I'm not sure about that, I'm, partly because I'm not a historian, but <laughs> I have a husband who is, so I have to be careful about <laughs> histo <in>. historical claims. <laughs> I, I, I doubt we're more shallow, but I imagine we're judging appearance differently. So there's something demo uh, that's very uh, democratising about beauty. So it doesn't matter what class you're from or race you're from, right? you can all do beauty. And I think maybe in previous generations, we were still judging on appearance in very shallow ways, but maybe on different ways, maybe more on, you know, the clothes how you used your how you spoke how you used your um cutlery at dinner or something i don't think we're I, I doubt human beings have changed dramatically in how shallow we are i just imagine we're probably doing shallowness in a slightly different way so and i think there are very positive things about some of this but there are also very worrying and dangerous things that we need to just recognize what's going on better and think of better ways to address them over and above the manufacturers though the right. cosmetics sellers or the mm -hmm. botox sellers what is it in our culture additional to those kind of obvious forces that you think are driving this? So I, I would just go back to the perfect storm. It's the technological imperative. It's the visual and virtual culture. And I think the, just how fundamental that is, I don't think we've understood. Um, it is the consumer culture. It is the global culture. And then if you add to that the fact that our um, ethical concerns, our, our judgments of goodness and badness have suddenly gone into the visual, that's a really powerful collection. Does the fact that this is now a global culture mean that there is a more oppressive idea, a single idea of what beauty is, right. which may not suit the look of certain cultures or of certain body types? Right. So it comes back to the, um, the, the difference of a global ideal, and that is going to be more homogenising than lots of local differences. It does push us all towards a more similar view, but it is a global average so it's one where everybody has to do more to meet it so you know so the global ideal skin tone is a is a coffee colored skin people talk about or a, a bronze or, or or golden skin so you know and this is where you get black girls with dark skin sometimes using using what can be quite toxic whitening products to make themselves white. Right, so I talk a lot in Perfect Me about routine beauty. So when people think about beauty dangers, they nearly always think about cosmetic surgery. But in fact, some of the most dangerous things we do are tan and skin lighten. Um, and then, you know, you look at all kinds of the lotions and potions we use, and we don't even think about that very often, yet hugely expensive and often full of quite dangerous chemicals. So building on the work in Perfect Me, we've all heard of racism we've heard of sexism you're now trying to get a hashtag trending around lookism everyday lookism so what is lookism so lookism is where people make uh, discriminatory comments on your appearance so nasty comments the kind of stuff that we see in fat shaming but not just fat shaming you know comments about body hair comments about um facial features, comments about hair colour, comments about age, any comment that is negative about your appearance, we're trying to call out as a luckiest comment. So the question is, how do we begin to respond to 
the rising demands? How do we try and address that so people find themselves in a less toxic culture where they don't feel that they're failing so much all the time? So one thing that I feel very strongly we should not do is that we should not look at what individuals do and don't do in the beauty stakes. We should stop those kind of calls. Oh, you should just resist or, oh, well, why don't you do more? You'd look so much better. So everyday lookism is a response that is not about telling people what they should or should not do. It's a response that says, let's call out those negative shaming comments. Let's try and readjust how we speak about other people's bodies so that we make a nicer better culture and it's also about recognizing that if our bodies are ourselves in this culture then when you body shame you don't body shame you people shame and we know that those comments stay with people often people who um, have surgery will report that their insecurity goes back to a nasty comment from a lover from a mother or from a stranger about that body part that they've never got out of their head so what everyday lookism is is doing is it's saying it's never okay to make negative comments about other people's bodies they're not about bodies they're about people and we need to stop this incredibly destructive talk. When you look at the everyday lookism stories that we're beginning to collect, you can see just how much pain attaches to them. We need to share that and show, just like we showed with everyday sexism, how awful and debilitating sexist comments are. What kind of comments are people reporting? So, um, if if I give you some examples, if um, yeah, we just stop for a second, yeah. and I'll just um, mm. they're just it's it's heartbreaking. Um, just going over to the computer. Yeah, going over to the computer, finding everyday lookism. It's normally about things like you know, oh, I was told told that I should, that I would be pretty if only I lost some weight. Um, yeah, what a uh, one girl, redheaded girl, said at, at school um, when she was young that when she first got there that she'd have a group of boys going behind her holding their hands up to her hair and she only realised a week later that they were warming their hands on her fire hair. So let me just read you a few. Oh, you have put on far too much weight. I preferred it when you were skinnier. My mum said as she grabbed my hips after I'd put on a healthy stone after having an eating disorder. That's one comment. Another one. You could be quite attractive if you weren't so chubby. At the beauty salon, getting my eyebrows threaded, beautician said, do you want me to do your upper lips whilst you're here? Me? Uh, no thanks. Beautician? Really? Are you sure? It's quite dark. She asked me this twice and I never went back. And you say that when we're dealing with our children, you know, we have to acknowledge that this is a culture that they are growing up in and you can't wish it away, you can't tell them to ignore it. But it seems to me by highlighting everyday lookism you are part of the resistance you are part of a counterculture to this ideal of beauty this all-prevailing idea of beauty so i would say that i am absolutely not against women engaging in beauty i do it myself i think that um, we need to embrace and celebrate bodies and beauty in positive affirming ways I really am against a culture in where we have to do more and more to be normal we'll spend more and more time chasing our perfect me and we'll feel less and less dissatisfied and we'll put more of our energy and identity into attaining a completely unattainable ideal Hello, thank you my pleasure thank you